It is Women of Strength Wednesday, and we are so excited because we have got our sweet friend, Tiffany from Georgia. I'm just sitting here, like, giggling over her cute little Georgia accent. Um, it's super cute, and I can't wait for you to listen to it, but um, first I want to tell you a little bit about Tiffany. We are going to talk about Nugal hands in this episode because her VBAC baby was born with a Nugal hand. So stay tuned to the end for that. But I just, we ask our guests to ask like a short little bio or to write a short little bio about themselves before we record so that we can kind of like get to know them a little bit better. And I just love her bio. So I'm just going to read it. And so she says, let's see. So there, um, her and her husband are from Georgia and he's currently in the army on Fort Benning, just a few minutes away from their family, actually. And I was also in the army. What does your husband do, Tiffany? So his MOS is a calf scout. Now that we have PCS here, I'm not sure if it changed or it's the same. I should probably ask him that. Yeah, it should still be the same. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. That's a cool job. I was really bad at land nav, so uh, <laughs> definitely could not have been a calf scout. All right. So, anyways, <laughs> for Benning, um, she's a stay-at-home mom to two awesome boys that are 19 months and 10 weeks old, and she doesn't have any hobbies at the moment. And I read that, and I just giggled, and I'm like, I don't have hobbies either. I mean, can anyone relate? Like when everyone says, hey, what do you like to do for fun? I'm like, hmm, um, well, after my kids go to bed, I like to watch Netflix and eat Cheetos puffs. Like, <laughs> what yes. are my hobbies? I don't have any. My hobbies are making sure my kids stay alive. Um, but she said, I sure am loving hot coffee and hot showers because whenever I can get them. She loves listening to the podcast and um, is passionate about childbirth and dreamed of having an unmedicated vaginal birth. I would love to become a doula one day. Oh, good. And take our feedback course. Absolutely. Oh, Tiffany, I'm so excited for you to share your story about VBAC baby and we can talk about nuclear hands. But before we get into all of that, Megan has a review of the week for us. Yes, I do. And I hope that I don't butcher this name. I don't know why I like my eyes can't read it. So um, I don't know if it's like you nethered birth doula or if it's like untethered. Maybe that's, but it doesn't, this is U-N-E. How do you spell untethered? Oh, un-U-N-E-unethered. Unethered. It's either you nethered or unethered. So it's a birth doula. I don't know. Maybe I made a typo. No, because I think I just copied and pasted. I don't know. I don't know. But hopefully if you're listening. <laughs> We're going to spend 10 minutes talking about how to Message us and tell us how to tell us, announce your yeah. name. But um, this is from Apple Podcasts. And she says that this is VBAC encouragement. She says, my first birth ended an emergency C-section at 29 weeks. And I knew as I was being rolled into the OR that I would go for a VBAC with my next baby. Not long after, the VBAC link started, and I was instantly obsessed. I love the wide range of VBAC and CBAC stories. Listening to the women sharing honestly and openly was motivating and encouraging. As a doula, this podcast is something I recommend to my VBAC clients. I am so thankful for the brave women sharing the good, bad, and the ugly of their stories, and I'm thankful for Megan and Julie for holding this space for us all. So thank Aww, you. I love that. I love that too, and... I feel like I can relate to her as like 
I was walking down for my second C-section. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm totally going to be back again. <laughs> like, I just knew. I just knew. So, yeah, we're so excited that she was able to leave that review. And, of course, we always let you know that we are on all the things. We're on Google. In fact, we actually got one just like an hour ago. Um, we did? Google, yep, Apple Podcasts. Wow. Facebook. You can leave us reviews anywhere, and we are pulling from all of these places, and we are reading them, and we love reading them. So please, if you haven't, give us a pause right now. It's okay. You can pause me and leave us a review. We get them every Monday and they really make our week. So thank you so much, either unethered or you nethered, or maybe we just totally botched your name, but thank or you Maybe so much. it's un unithered birth. <laughs> unithered de birth doula. I don't know. <laughs> thank you. All right, we'll move on now. <laughs> You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Do you want a VBAC but don't know where to start? It's easy to feel like we need to figure it all out on our own. That's what we used to do and it was the loneliest, most ineffective thing we have ever done. That's why Megan and I created our signature course, How to VBAC, the ultimate preparation course for parents that you can find at the VBAClink.com. It is the most comprehensive VBAC preparation course in the world, perfectly packaged in an online self-paced video course. Together, Megan and I have helped over 800 parents get the birth that they wanted, and we are ready to help you too. Head on over to the VBAClink.com to find out more and sign up today. That's the vbacklink.com. See you there. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is so funny. Okay. So let me tell you what. It's been a crazy morning for Megan and I trying to keep our kids from rampaging the house and storming down the barriers and eating all the cheese and <laughs> piano lessons and preschool and hallelujah school's almost over and all of those things. And so we are a really excited to be here with Tiffany to share her story with you. And please say a little prayer. I know that this is not real time, that our houses don't get destroyed while we are recording. That would be yeah. lovely if you send it, those well It rarely happens that it is not destroyed, <laughs> but I'm going to cross I my fingers tight. It's not like burn down. I think we're okay. You know, or like paint. Burn down. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Nail polish. Even, do you know what? I actually have a funny story. <laughs> my boys, like, oh my gosh, like two or three years ago, they got into all my nail polish and painted my closet door and the floor, like the carpet. And I just have never cleaned it, like cleaned it up because we tried and like, there's just like a big old smudge stain of nail polish on the floor. And the door, obviously we couldn't wipe off with acetone because then it would take the paint off. But guess what? A week ago, I finally painted over the nail polish on my closet door. And now I walk past it and see this like glorious white door. It doesn't have nail polish anymore. And I'm like, I feel like a grown up. Like I actually fixed something in my house. So anyway, 
if you if you can relate to me, give me a like high five right now, like imaginary air high five, and hopefully your children don't ever get into your nail polish. Um, they called it finger painting, which is like kind of like you know, like they kind of got the concept because it's painting your nails. Anyways, I will not go on any further. I will let Tiffany start sharing her super amazing story. Go ahead, Tiffany. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can't wait. Um, and Julie, I can totally relate to you. I have red nail polish all over our master bedroom carpet. So, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I am also totally excited to be here with you guys. And more than anything, because I'm going to have a quiet house for one hour, and I'm I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Such a good um, feeling. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> But anyway, so my husband and I, we wanted to start a family as soon as we got married, but unfortunately we, we got pregnant quickly, but we lost three babies soon after we were married. Yeah, we had, it was very hard because we were, you know, so excited, but we had two early miscarriages and then one happened to be an ectopic pregnancy. So we didn't know that it was in the tube. The baby was in the tube until my tube ruptured at home. So we were nine weeks along with that baby, but thankfully we got pregnant again quickly after that. And our, um, our pregnancy was uneventful and I was so excited because I've always wanted to have an unmedicated vaginal birth. So of course I start doing all the things to make that happen. But Our firstborn decided he wanted to be breech, and he stayed breech the entire pregnancy. I mean, like from the very beginning. So we sort of knew that this was going to end in a C-section, but we tried to do all of the things to get him to flip over. Um, We even had uh, an ECV performed in the hospital at 37 weeks, and that failed And as soon as that procedure failed, the doctor said to me, well, your pelvis hasn't proved itself, so you need to have a C-section. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Your pelvis Um, hasn't proved itself. Exactly. Um, Frustrating. That sort of stuck with me because I felt like, you know, you're not even giving me a chance. But at that point, I didn't do very much research, and they went ahead and said, we need to schedule this. At 39 weeks, um, that way you do not go into labor on your own just in case that turns into an emergency C-section. So let's go ahead and schedule it for 39 weeks. And even though I wanted to say no and I wanted to go home and start researching everything I could about a breech delivery, my husband and I just looked at each other and we thought about it and we realized that 39 weeks fell on my husband's birthday. So we were like, that's kind of exciting. So we went ahead and scheduled it. And I had already hired a doula for this birth. So I went home and I called her and I'm like, what do we do? And she said, I'm going to be there. And I said, okay. And I I thought, you know, this is kind of pointless. I don't need a doula for a C-section, but I was so thankful for her because I didn't realize that they were going to take me off to get the spinal without my And I was super nervous and he was super nervous, but thankfully she was able to stay with him in the room and he was pacing the floor and she was able to kind of calm him down a little bit and explain to him what was happening because he really didn't understand what was going on. But quickly after he met me in the delivery room and I had my C-section, which 
felt very unreal because it happened so quickly. My son came out screaming and I, I didn't even think that it was really him because of how fast everything happened. But it was him and he was perfectly healthy and the surgery was uneventful and they put him directly on my skin in the OR and I really couldn't ask for a better experience. I was just bummed that I didn't get to have an unmedicated vaginal birth that I had always dreamed of. Other than that, it went really great. And after a couple of hours, the OB that performed the C-section came into my room and told me, you know, I know that you really wanted to have a vaginal birth. So I wanted to let you know that I did an infinity stitch, which I believe is just a double stitch or a figure eight stitch. And he said, you would be a great candidate for a VBAC. Um, oh, yeah. that was nice of him to say. That was, yeah, it was very nice. It was, like I said, it was a great experience the entire time. And I'm glad that he told me that because as soon as I found out I was having a C-section, I went home and I researched, you know, can I have a vaginal birth now in the future? And that's when I first heard about a VBAC and what it is. So of course I started researching every single day and planning out my next birth and getting as prepared as I could. And we knew that we wanted to have our children close together. So it wasn't long after that, that we decided to start trying. Our son was either almost eight months old or right at eight months old. We decided to try again. And thankfully I got pregnant quickly again which is always surprising to us with, with having one fallopian tube. But that pregnancy was also uneventful, and I met my provider who was also on board with a VBAC, and then we found out we were PCSing. And I was like, oh, no, we're going to Georgia. Maybe the military hospital there isn't as on board with VBACs as they are here in Washington. So I started doing research about switching my insurance and going to a civilian doctor. And then I realized that the civilian doctors in Georgia, they really are not on board with it in the city or in the surrounding cities where we are. Yeah, Georgia's really rough uh, yeah. for VBAC. Yeah, except for one doctor, but I'm not going to get ahead of you here because maybe <laughs> well, and, and that was the, <laughs> that was the same thing that we figured out. There was one doctor in Columbus, Georgia I stumbled across her name, and then I found out about one other. But we got to Columbus, and I went ahead and met with the doctor here who seemed like he was totally on board with a VBAC. So he, of course, said, we'll do a TOLAC. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, you can keep calling it a TOLAC if you want, but I'm happy. I know a what it really means. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I know what exactly. it really means. <laughs> exactly. So met with him and I said, okay, I'm not going to change my insurance. We'll stay with this hospital. So um, we did end up delivering him at this uh, military hospital here at Fort Benning. And I went home and started doing all the things to prepare. We did hypnobirthing, which I also did with my first my firstborn. We did hypnobirthing sessions at home. I drank so much red raspberry leaf tea. I mean, I drank it religiously. I was eating the six dates a day. And in the last four weeks of my pregnancy, I um, even took evening primrose oil. And I was doing all of these things, hoping that my body would just go into labor on its own. Because I had read so much about feedback and I've been listening to your podcast. And I knew that 
there are different things that could come up where they would start to say, okay, it's taking too long. You need to have a C-section now or something like that. So I was just doing everything I could to make sure that my body would go into labor on its own. And at the same time, I was binge listening to this <laughs> this podcast every single night. Um, That's what we like to hear. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it truly, it truly did um, give me hope and give me strength and give me so much information. I really, truly went into this thinking I knew, thinking that I knew everything about a VBAC. And then I started listening to the VBAC link, realizing how much I still needed to learn. So I thank you ladies for that. So the pregnancy was going very great until um, uh, somewhere around 28 weeks or a little bit after I received a gestational diabetes diagnosis six weeks late. And I was very upset because it went untreated for six weeks. And I was upset with my provider and I explained that to him, but he seemed like, he seemed like everything was okay based on my numbers. And I went home and realized that I didn't really need to control my diet to still get perfect numbers. So I don't really think the gestational diabetes diagnosis was correct, possibly. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure about that. I need to do more research. Either way, my provider wanted to do growth scans out of protocol. So we did the growth scans and around 39 weeks, our son was measuring around eight pounds. And I'm like, okay, that's perfectly normal. He didn't, my provider didn't seem very concerned about it either, but he did start saying that ACOG recommended an induction at 40 plus six for gestational diabetes patients. And I said, you know, well, I'm not even having to control my diet, so I don't want to induce at 40 plus six. And he said, well, that's ACOG's recommendation, so our hospital we're going to follow that. And I said, okay, well, I want to sign an AMA to have the rest of the weekend. And good good for you. Yeah. I I just (laughs) listening, listening to you ladies, I learned that I can do that. So I asked, you know, can I sign an AMA and have the rest of the week? Well, I didn't ask for the rest of the weekend at first. I just said to let my body go into labor on its own. And he said, well, I think we can give you a few more days. And I said, okay, you think, or like, like what can <laughs> I do? Mean? What am I doing? What are you approving me to do? Exactly. And I said, can you, you know, can you find out for me? And he said, yeah, I'll talk to the main OB. I know that they have, in a military hospital, they have people that they have to answer to above right. them. So I went ahead and signed the AMA and I, he came back and told me that I could have the rest of the weekend and they would schedule the induction for Monday. And on Monday I would be 41 plus one. He said, but I want you to come in the day before and we're going to do an AFI and an EFT. And at this point, I never heard of either one of those procedures. So I went home and I started doing lots of research. And by the end of the night, I was scared thinking, okay, they're doing an AFI or an EFT to find some reason to induce me or to find some reason to say you have to have a C-section right now. So I really started to get nervous. And so I did a fear clearing session and I wrote down my fears and my husband and I talked about it and I did everything I could to just kind of relax. And he said, let's have some people over on Saturday. And Saturday was the day I was originally supposed to 
have the induction per ACOG's recommendation of 40 plus 6. So we had people over for dinner and labor started at like 6.30 at night. We were just nice. finishing up cooking. Yeah, <laughs> We were just finishing up cooking and everyone was starting to gather around the table. And at first I didn't tell anyone because I had no signs of approaching labor at all. I mean, maybe two or three nights before I had a few contractions in the middle of the night, but they would fizzle out and turn to nothing. So I thought the same thing was going to happen this night. So everyone's around the dinner table and I'm sitting on my birthing ball and I tell people, y'all, I'm having contractions, but I'm going to ignore it. I know this isn't the real thing. And I know when I take a shower tonight, they're just going to fizzle out. So around 930 that night, everyone's still at my house and now they're, they're like around eight minutes apart and they're pretty consistent, but they're not intense at all. And I told my sister-in-law, I said, you know, when you go home tonight, maybe you should pack a bag just in case because they've never lasted this long and they've never been this consistent. So um, everyone left and I went ahead and took my shower and started getting ready for bed and doing some last minute packing just in case because the contractions kept on coming. Even though I knew I needed to rest, I was just too excited. I couldn't I couldn't. I just kept doing things around my house, getting prepared for my sister-in-law to come and getting prepared for my son who, you know, was going to be here at home while we were in the hospital. So around 1130, the same night, my contractions were around five to six minutes apart at this time and they were getting more intense. And I started to think, okay, my sister-in-law needs to come back. So I gave her a call and she came over and her and my husband watched me labor in our bedroom from about midnight till 2.30 in the morning. And we were joking around, but at this point, I'm having to lean over my bed and breathe through the contractions. And I told her, you know, you need to go get some sleep because you have to keep up with a toddler tomorrow if I'm in the hospital. And I'm going to stay at, long, at, at home as long as I possibly can. So she tried to get some sleep and I tried to take a bath to slow it down so I could get some rest. But I could not sit in the tub. I had one contraction and I absolutely hated it. Like I just did not like sitting down at all. I had to stand through every single contraction. That was the only way that I felt comfortable. And um, at this point, they were about four minutes apart. And I was starting to feel scatterbrained and walking in circles. So I told my husband, I'm like, I think it's time to go to the hospital. These are getting pretty intense. They're four minutes apart. I want to stay at home as long as I can, but I also don't want to give birth on the way to the hospital. We have a 30-minute drive. So around 3 a.m., I rode to the hospital in my husband's truck, and I had to face the back of the seat on my knees because I still could not sit down during the contractions. And It's actually a great laboring position. It's, yeah. It's as comfortable as you can get like in a car. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. I tried sitting down and I'm like, nope, this isn't going to work. And to this day, it's, it's a funny memory for the, both of, for the both of us because we had to go through main gate on post to get to the hospital. And um, the guy at the gate, you know, normally they just check, you know, the driver's ID. But since it's a Saturday at 3 a.m., well, I guess a Sunday at this point, at 3 a.m., they wanted to see the passenger's ID as well. And I sort of like smirk at my husband, like, is this guy serious? Like, don't you see what's happening right now? But I managed to get my ID out of the backpack that was on the floorboard, and I had another contraction right then. And at this point, I'm, I'm vocalizing through them, and 
the guy at the gate realized what was happening. And he was like, go, go. We don't want to have a baby here. So um, anyway, we get to triage at about 3.30. And they tell me I'm dilated to a 5 and I'm 70% effaced. And my husband and I just looked at each other and we high-fived, which is also another fun memory for us. We were so excited that I made it to a five before getting to the hospital. And then I was kind of shocked that they were so intense. I wasn't feeling any pain at this point, but I was, you know, they were super intense and kind of making me a little nervous that I was only at a five. But thankfully at this point, I'm like, okay, I'm pretty much in active labor. So they're not going to send me away, but I know that I have a long way to go. And I was already starting to doubt myself. And I'm like, oh, why didn't I get a doula this time? And I'm like, babe, you've got to, you know, you've got to be there for me. I had been coaching him along the way of all the things to say and everything that I could think of that I would need him to say to get me from turning to an epidural. And so they got me in a room and the first thing that happens is the nurse comes over and she starts hooking me up to an IV saying that the OB had ordered lactated ringers. And I was like, no, 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 please look at my birth plan. I said that I only want a Heplock and they did not have my birth plan, which my provider had assured me that all the nurses on staff would have a copy of it. And she said, okay, that's not a problem. We can do that. And after several failed attempts, they got my IV in. And then the nurse told me, okay, you have to be on continued fetal monitoring per the main OB on call. And you cannot come off even to go pee. And I was just like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> and what? basically, Yeah. And I was, I was really upset at this point because I thought for sure these were going to get painful and I'm going to need to be in a shower to help with back labor if that came along or something. But she said that I couldn't and she willed over a portable potty and a little bedpan that clicks underneath. And I was like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. And I'm really starting to feel at this point that the nurse and the OB are against me and I'm scared that my VBAC isn't going to happen. And I looked up at the nurse and I said, is, is this the OB's personal preference or is this hospital policy? And she said, it's the hospital's VBAC policy. And she, I was going to ask to see the policy, but she offered to show it to me. And at that point, I started to feel a little bit more comfortable with her. And I said, look, I just need you to know I'm a nice person. I'm not trying to be, you know, mean or anything. I just want to do what's best for me and what's medically necessary. And I'm just trying to avoid a C-section. And she started to comfort me and say that she understood. And I think she was starting to see that I was panicking a little bit because I was nervous that the hospital was going to flip things around on me and just not be as VBAC supportive as I thought they were going to be. So at this point, it's, it's probably around 5 in the morning, 5 or 5.30, and they tell me, we're not going to check you again until around 7 or 7.30 in the morning, so we're going to leave you alone and, you know, just let us know if you want us to check you before that. Thankfully, the nurse never left. I originally thought that my husband and I would want to be alone, but the contractions to me were so intense that um, it was nice to have the nurse there because she really was a calming presence and she kept reassuring me with each and every one. I believe my husband started to clam up a little bit at this point. So it was nice to have her there since I didn't have a doula and 
the contractions were coming on stronger and stronger and I could feel my body push really hard at the end of each contraction. The only way I could explain it is, I hate to say this, but like right before you're about to puke and you, your body, you just feel like you have no control over your body. The contractions were squeezing me so hard and they were pushing down on my bottom so hard that I was just making that little bit of a sound like I was about to get sick and I couldn't sit down. So I'm literally standing over my hospital bed and having contraction after contraction. And with every one, I'm peeing on the floor and I'm totally embarrassed because I get very easily embarrassed over things like that. And with every contraction, I'm peeing on the floor because I can't sit down. And my husband and my nurse, they're, they're just laughing about it and trying to make me feel comfortable and saying, you know, do what you got to do. It's okay. And I just couldn't believe that I was feeling pushy already. And I was, of course, feeling like I was going to have to poop every single time I would have a contraction. And my husband was right behind me because I think that he, I kept prepping him for back labor and what he could do to help me through it. And I never had any back labor, thank God. But my husband stood behind me and he was just ready to massage anytime that I needed him to. So I just kept going at the end of each contraction. I just kept whining. I know I'm about to poop. I know I'm about to poop and I'm going to poop on your shoes. Can you back up? And they kept reassuring me that it was okay. Like if I had to, I had to. But like I said, I get really embarrassed about that kind of stuff. So I kept tensing up and then I would, in my mind, remind myself, okay, you have to relax your hands. You have to relax your bottom. You have to relax your face. And so every time my husband would see me tense up, he would kind of tap me on the bottom a little bit just to remind me to relax. So that was pretty much how I labored the entire time I was at the hospital. I just stood there and and did what I needed to do. The contractions were getting so intense so fast that I started wanting an epidural. I wasn't feeling pain. I was feeling scared, and I just kept feeling so much pressure. And at this point, I was pretty much losing control. All modesty was out the window. I started burping and I know that I'm not a doula, but I keep studying to be a doula. And so I started to know all of the signs of transition. And so at that moment, I shouted out loud to my husband and to the nurse, I only have 30 minutes to three hours left. This is transition and I can do this. That's awesome. (laughs) No, I'm really, really (laughs) thankful that I had that little inner doula because I know that so many women, you know, you get in the heat of the moment and you just, all of that, that knowledge goes out the window. And I'm, I'm really thankful that I I remembered in that moment that I don't have much longer to go because even though I wrote my list out to my husband saying, these are the signs of transition and this is when I need you to motivate me the most. I'm pretty sure he had forgot everything at this point. But he was definitely right there next to me, never left my side. And he was giving me some words of encouragement saying, you're almost there. We're about to see our son and, and um, things like that. But all of a sudden, I have one monster contraction and my whole body starts shaking. And I, you know, I'm losing sense of time. I'm, I'm not thinking straight. I'm, I'm not even sure if I have my gown on at this point. But the baby, my nurse, I had given her permission to check me because the OB said that she was, you know, trained to do that. And I just, I felt so close with her at this point that I had given her permission to check me 
because I kept feeling so pushy. So before I had this contraction, she checked me and told me, I think what I was dilated to, and I can't remember at this point, but she checked me again after I had this really big contraction. And she said that the baby had dropped from a negative one to a positive one and skipped zero completely. And I don't know if that's normal or not, but my husband started joking around saying that I was twerking. (laughs) (laughs) Twerk that baby out. (laughs) I know. He said, because my whole body was shaking so hard. And I could definitely tell that something big happened because of the way my body was pushing. And so at that point, I'm like, you have to check me again. I know that I said I didn't want very many checks, but I need to be checked because I think this baby is coming like right now. And um, she checked me and said that I was at a 9.5 and I had a little bit of a lip. But at that point, she said, you're, you know, you're ready to, you're, you're about ready to start pushing. So I'm going to page the doctor. You need to get up on the bed. And I just said, you know, can I keep standing here? Like, can I push while I'm standing? Cause I cannot imagine laying down. I tried laying down a couple of times and I just couldn't have any contractions that way, but she said, no, that's too risky. So she got me on the bed and I was complete in a matter of minutes and the doctor was there and they're telling me that I can start pushing at this point. And I'm in complete disbelief because like I said, I still haven't felt any pain, just, just intense pressure. And, um, I, I was just in complete disbelief, but I'm like, okay. So I start trying to breathe the baby down and with each contraction. And after about 40 minutes, nothing's really happening. And they're starting to say, you know, we can see your, we can see a bulging bag. It's just right there if you want us to break it. And I'm going, no, I don't want any interventions. And I think it would be really cool to see him born in the bag if that's the way it's going to happen. And then I started to get more and more tired and I'm wanting this to happen. So, you know, after being awake for 24 hours and in labor for about 12 and I'm starting to say, I can't do this. And I'm getting scared that I'm not going to get the baby out. And at any moment they're going to will me away to have a C-section. So I said, okay, go ahead and break the water. And he did. And, with each contraction, I'm really struggling to, to push and they're trying to coach me through it at this point. And I'm a little bummed because I really wanted to just breathe him out. But the nurse is starting to tell me, okay, you really need to give it a good push this time. And the main OB that was at the hospital said, you need some oxygen, you need some fluids. And I started thinking, okay, this is it. This is not going to happen. So I really started to give it big pushes with each contraction and I just really went for it and I was whining that my back was hurting. That was the very first time I started to feel my back hurt and I really think it's because I was laying down because it's the only time I started to feel actual pain and I just, my husband, he started to joke around with me again and he said, I don't even know if I want to say this, but he quoted how the reason why I'm in pain is because it's God's punishment for sin or something like that. He's trying to make me laugh. And yeah. I, I like, I'm ignoring him and looking at him with this, you know, this, this face, like really you're going to joke with me right now, but I laugh and, and then I say, okay, let's just laugh this baby out. And, um, I started to, 
to push really hard with the next three contractions. I mean, with all my might, and I let out three pretty loud screeches. I think my father-in-law heard me from the waiting room, and our baby was born, and we were in disbelief. My, I think I held my mouth open for probably three or four minutes, like just in complete disbelief that my baby just came out of my vagina. I was in total shock. And um, they told me that I could reach down and pull him out before I started pushing. But the moment was so intense and I was so in shock that this was actually happening that I, I did not reach down, even though the nurse was saying, reach down, pull your baby out. I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't move my hands. Um, <laughs> so within seconds, he was on my stomach and I'm just laying there with my mouth wide open and I'm saying, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, over and over and over. And my husband and I, were, of course, were looking at each other and we're both in disbelief that it happened. And it was just, it was such a great experience. But I will say that even though I did not feel any pain during the contractions, right there at the end when I pushed him out, I I wasn't sure if, I would, if it was really going to hurt or not because I've read so many different things that some women feel pain with pushing, with some women pushing is their favorite part. But um, in this case, our son came out with his hand in front of his face. And the doctor said, you know, right there at the end when you kept, because I, I forgot to mention this, but I kept going, it burns, it burns, it burns. And in my head, I'm thinking, this is the ring of fire that ladies talk about. And maybe that is uh, what I was feeling. But he said his hand was in front of his face and it caused a few tears. And they said, you know, you can keep him on your chest, but we're going to need to stitch you up. And so I laid there just soaking in the moment and letting them do what they needed to do. And um, the tears were only first degree tears, but to me, they, you know, they hurt pretty bad. I don't know, um, you know, what it would feel like for them to be worse than that. But um, it, it was pretty intense for me in that moment. But um we just, uh, we were just in total shock. And one thing I couldn't believe is that I went from five to pushing in only four hours. So my active labor was super quick. And I really think that's because I was able to stand next to the bed the entire time and that I kept my body relaxed, uh, relaxed. And of course, drinking all of that red raspberry leaf tea and dates, I think that probably helped me as well. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I guess I need to mention, too, that this isn't really part of the delivery, but I did have wound breakdown after about three days after my son was born. So I am scheduled to have a perineoplasty soon. I was supposed to have it on May 1st, but then with the quarantine, I'm, I've been put on a wait list. So things are not back to normal yet, but we are totally happy and we have an awesome little baby boy at home. No, and you're working in the right direction to get things better. Yes, we are working in the right direction and I cannot wait until things are back to normal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Oh, what an awesome story. I wish, man, I mean, I guess my transition was quick. Like I just labored forever and ever and ever and then like got to a six to a 10 really quick, but yeah, I wish that I could have had a faster. <laughs> yeah. I felt like this was super fast, you know, because 
everything that happened at home, it just, it wasn't very intense. So I know that it counts, but I like to say that it only took five hours, really. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, well, congratulations. Thank you. I hope that I didn't talk too fast, but I, I tried to get everything in there that I could because I know that everyone's story is different, but each and everyone's story is so special to them. And it this is. story is so special to me. I just wanted to be able to tell every little bit of it. No, I'm it was so, so perfect. It was really good. Megan has a story. We want to talk a little bit about Noogle Hands, and I'm going to look up some statistics. Oh, I was like, I actually, do. about Noogle Hands. Well, Megan tells her story, and actually, it was one of her clients, and she was on our podcast, I think, wasn't she? Yeah, Beth. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Beth. So, um, talk a little bit about that, and then I'm going to look up some statistics about Noogle Hands. Cool. <laughs> yeah, um, it was actually my first nuchal hand experience as a doula and she was also a VBAC and that's why she's on this podcast as well but um she was a VBAC and they like did a cervical exam and she was like oh I kind of if I kind of feels weird or no like I almost feel like I feel a hand and so she had the OB come in and the OB like felt felt inside and was like oh yeah there's there's a hand. And so they decided that they were going to try and move the baby up. And so like she was unmedicated and they were totally doing that with her unmedicated. Like she, they were like push, trying to push the baby's hand back up inside, like to get the baby's hand away from their head. And that's, she's amazing. She was such a trooper. I don't even know how she was able to handle that, but the baby's hand sort of moved and then they checked again and the baby came out a little bit further So she ended up getting an epidural so she could like really just let the provider help in that situation. And um, it was so cool because the provider's like, hey, do you want to, do you want to fill? And she's like, yeah. And so she reached inside and sure enough, she felt her little baby's like fingers touching hers. And she just like spoke to the baby and she was like, okay, like I need you to move your hand. (laughs) Like we're ready to meet you, but you have to move your hand first. And so, and the OB had like to step out. He was like waiting for her to like get all nice and set up from the epidural. And he came back in and the baby totally moved their hand, like completely gone, head well applied. And I just thought that was so cool. And sometimes these hands, like they just, they come out or they like, it's just interesting, you know, how it all happens. But I thought it was a cool story. Feeling that, it, I don't know, it was just really cool in the moment, like feeling like, whoa, like she just communicated with her baby and her yeah. baby listened. That's amazing. We even wrote a blog about that, actually, the mother, the mother baby bond to go with her episode. Yeah, so it's on did. her blog if you want to go and take a yeah. search for it. But guess what? I have some information on nuclear hands. <laughs> this is an article from Medscape from 2019. And it talks about compound presentations, which is something being by the face. So hand usually is what it is. But it says that it's very unlikely actually, which is interesting because I thought it would be a little more likely than what it is. But they say, um, and they have several studies referenced here. It says, um, okay, so compound presentations are observed more commonly after premature rupture of membranes um, with preterm labor, obviously because a smaller baby with pelvic masses displacing the main fetal pole or after inductions of labor involving um, like floating present, floating presenting parts, like, or if they break their, 
your water when baby's still high, that's a little more likely to happen then as well. And they're more likely with obstetric interventions than with spontaneous births. So the presentation type actually involves the probability of cord prolapse as well. Yeah, usually the misplaced part is a hand or an arm, <laughs> the compound presentation. So a nuchal hand or nuchal arm. I wonder how that would work. Like, can you have an arm without the hand? Maybe like elbow? I don't know. Can you? Do you think? What's your thoughts? Well, I Anybody? would assume. Maybe an elbow? I mean, baby, I mean, Kinda think about like, like, do you guys yeah. sleep with your arms up sometimes? Like, okay, think about like laying, you're like, put your hand over your head. Yeah. There's yeah. an elbow and yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but also a foot could present with the head. If the baby's extended at the knee and flexed at the hip. Yeah. Or a hand or an arm may present alongside of a breech delivery. Oh, man. Yes. Pretty cool. Management of these individual events differs according to the finding and the circumstances. If intact membranes are found, leaving them intact while resolution of the compound presentation is attempted may be wise. There you go. Nuchal hand. Look at that. Perfect. We need to read. Oh, darn. Oh, yeah, your question. Darn. Okay, so what's your best tip for someone preparing for VBAC? Okay, let's see. I would say knowledge. Be knowledgeable about what you are going to do and make sure that you have, make sure that you can either, either be an advocate for yourself or you're going to have someone there that's going to be an advocate for you. Perfect. Perfect. I love that advice. All right. And then what is Something that nobody really talks about that you wish you would have known ahead of time when preparing for birth. So I think that I would say in this case, I read a lot about just breathing your baby down instead of, you know, having someone count you down and tell you how to push, you would just breathe your baby down and that it would be, you know, really easy. And maybe that could have been the case if I felt like I had more time. In my case, I felt like I think out of fear and out of panic mode of you're about to have a C-section if you don't get this baby out, I felt that I needed to push with all my might to get the baby out. So I think that it would have been better for me to have more knowledge in that area, um, mm -hmm. more knowledge about how to push your baby out correctly. Or is it possible for your baby to just come out if you did the spontaneous bearing down because my body, it definitely pushed on its own, but I felt like I didn't, or I felt like I couldn't get him out without pushing myself along mm -hmm. with my body, pushing harder. So maybe just a little bit more knowledge about that. Oh my gosh. That's so that funny. is we so just, funny. <laughs> yeah. We literally just did it right before this, like an hour ago. <laughs> We recorded an episode, and that's what we talked about at the we end. About pushing, pushing, and it's like usually it you don't like. have to push; like your body will just do it alone. But sometimes yeah. you do have to push and give effort. In the instance of one of the things was nuchal hand. Wow. Yes. Okay, so that explains <laughs> it all. That's so funny that you just said that. Yeah. I'm like, well. We have an episode on that now. So. Yeah. so if you haven't already listened, go back and listen to last week's episode and you'll learn all about pushing. <laughs> yes. I, I think can't it's wait 137, to hear that one. <laughs> what is it? 137. Seven. Seven? Let's see. Yeah, seven. 
Yeah, it was 137. So, and this episode is 138. Yeah. So, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Tiffany. You've been great and just a delight and so happy to talk to you. I'm, I just enjoy just listening to you hear your story and that sweet Georgia accent. I lived in Georgia for a little while and it's fun because I don't know if you have, if you have an accent, you think everybody else has an accent, but I think Utah has its own accent. Like we don't, we don't enunciate our T's as well. Like we say mountains instead of mountains and Mm -hmm. like we have some other little nuances. So it's kind of funny. We actually had someone one day say that like, she was living somewhere in the South and she was like, I, I knew as soon as I started listening to you guys, I knew you were from Utah because of the accent. Cause she was from Utah. <laughs> and I was like, so that's funny. right. When I was in the military, nobody could figure out where I was from. They were like, I guess maybe a lot of people in Utah joint join like the active military. I don't know. But like, they would always say like, where are you from? Are you from Michigan or the Midwest somewhere? Like, uh, no, Utah. Utah. I know. Anyways, just a regular tangent. (laughs) Well, thank you ladies for having me on too. I really enjoyed it. And the whole accent thing, I'm not going to enjoy listening to myself because I'm going to be critiquing everything (laughs) that I say and the way I say it. So it is so um, funny. We used to be like that too. Like we used to hate I just remember whenever we first started recording, we'd be like, oh, my voice. It sounds so yeah. awful. How does anybody even stand listening to <laughs> talk? But now now we're used to it. You know, it doesn't bug us, but totally can relate to that. <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, thanks again. And you yeah. have a great rest of your day. Okay. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you both. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.